thank you for joining me today, and welcome to the Contextual Insurgent Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith. This is Daily Dispatch number 30. If you haven't, please go and sign up for my free Substack newsletter at contextualinsurgent.substack.com. I also have a Telegram channel. You can find links there. You can also search in Telegram for Contextual Insurgent Project. If you appreciate my content and insights, you can support me several different ways. I have a Patreon that's linked in my Substack. You can also go directly to patreon.com backslash eesmith4. My cash app is dollar sign eesmith4. I also take crypto. I have the wallet address and QR code for Bitcoin added at the bottom of my latest Substack newsletter. If you'd like to donate or support me in some other fashion, please reach out and let me know. All support is greatly appreciated. Today we're going to dive off into, well, the most important thing, Kyle Rittenhouse's acquittal last Friday. But I also want to cover some of the drama that happened this weekend. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the, well, there was a handful of riots. There wasn't widespread violence. There was a lot of looting. We're going to talk about that stuff. We're also going to talk about a little bit of the Waukesha, um, Wisconsin car crash Christmas parade attack. We're going to dive off into that some and talk about that. We're also going to talk, I want to talk about the Kyle situation, but you know, you know me by now. I'm going to talk a lot about the strategic implications of that stuff. Um, before we really dive into that, I want to sit and talk about really quickly about, you know, if, if you, the audio sounds a little better to you. I know one of the things I've had um, on here was my intro reel was a little bit um, out of whack with the other audio. Well, I made some big changes on my um, workflow on here, and I also built like a little cubby hole with sound deadening material. So hopefully it should sound a little better. I've done a lot of test um, exports and checks on here, and it sounds better to my ear. I'm wearing you know headphones here, and I have some more things coming um, to work on here for the audio to make it even better. So if you think it's better, um, let me know. If you still have some issues with it, um, you know, I know that the levels were kind of out of whack. Someone was saying that the intro was a little louder and when they would turn it, turn it up to hear me when I came in and then my outro hit, it was like really loud. It didn't really sound that bad to me on my end because I was listening to my phone. But again, if, if it sounds better, if there's still an issue, let me know and I will adjust that some more. So yeah, anyway, <sighs> he got acquitted. <laughs> You know, I, I did um, a piece on this last Monday. I talked about a lot of the issues that I had with this about, you know, I mean, obviously it was an extremely political prosecution. Um, you know, I talked about my feelings and thoughts about how emotional I was about this kid who, you know, he was basically doing what we believed in, what we claim to believe in as, as a society and a culture. And that was really his main mistake was taking us at our word. Well, you know, this this young man got acquitted on Friday, and I was pretty crazy emotional watching it. Because, you know, it's like, we feel like, like, I know I felt like I was on trial. And you, maybe you felt the same. It was more than just him. And we really were. It was like Nicholas Sandman. Do you remember the, the kid who uh, was confronted by the um, Indian gentleman that was beating the drum and, like, just standing there smiling, trying to be non-confrontational? He was attacked for that. Um, it was kind of the same thing. It was this decoulacification that's going on in America today where you have the coastal elite type of um, society that is trying to attack flyover Americans that has this visceral hatred for them, for us, you know, for 
people who, you know, like, I, I moved to San Francisco and lived there for a few years, and, like, I love the city, but I started to really hate the people. I could never really join that culture and that society. Like, for me, being from someone who's from, from Mississippi, I could never turn my back on the good people that I know are out there that are not, you know, just incredibly fake and stuck up like so many people. And, of course, you find those people everywhere in the world, but... They don't make it where it's like a cultural thing, like what you meet on the coasts. I remember people in San Francisco, it was crazy. You'd have a, a nice conversation or something, and somehow some little political thing, if it was just a tangent, they could jump on, and next thing you know, within like 30 seconds, they're just like red-faced, just like so mad at Trump, so mad at Trump voters, angry at these flyover people, just just rage, just this incredible boiling rage would come out. But yeah, you know, it's that's what's what was really happening. And it really, you know, one of the things I said too last year, immediately after the election, was folks, you know, we're winning. I know as bad as it may think that Trump was behind in the Electoral College at that point, I was like, look, you know, the thing I said then was, you know, and I stand by this, the, the things that have been happening in the last year and a half, these are not the actions of a confident, secure regime that's winning. These are not the things that people do when they are secure and confident in themselves and their power base and their future. You know, one of the things I said about the last election was like, look, like the big tech, corporate America, the media, you know, the, the, the intelligence agencies pulled out all the stops they had. They pulled out everything they had. And, and just expose themselves in front of the world. And the best they could do was, like, get it within 40,000 votes of flipping the election anyway, depending because of the way the Electoral College works. And they still got blown out in the, you know, congressional races, still lost a bunch of house. Like, down ballot, they just got fucking destroyed, basically. And I was like, look, that's not... They did everything they had, and that's the best they could do. And... You know, people were like, well, you know, there's there's a... And this is really kind of a little bit of a tangent. But one of the things that I really dislike that I see on the right a lot is this idea, you know... The failure mode on the right is really this kind of conspiratorial thinking where we look at our opponents. And, and not to say they're not conspiring, because they are. But, not, but there's this... We want to think that they're geniuses and they're brilliant and they have these incredibly complex plans... And you see that where it's, it's I don't really believe that. Um, you don't want to look at things that are happening that they're doing and think they're smarter and better than they are. I mean, you don't need to underestimate them either, but don't make them so superior you can't defeat them. And, you know, that that's what we saw in the election was like, that's the best they could do. Barely. They could barely pull that off. So barely. Everything, they took everything they had. And, you know, blew their wad. And, like, that's the best you can do. Then they get, you know, of course, they are getting blown out everywhere. Like, in Virginia, of all places. Um, you know, that flipped. And people are trying, taking back their school boards across America. Lots of dim, like, dim. They're going to get, like, it's, people are freaking out now on the dims. Because it's looking like the midterms are going to be just an absolute tidal wave for Republicans. Um... You know, I mean, like, there's even polls now that are like, yeah, if Trump and Biden had a matchup, that Trump would still win. I mean, it's just, it's just nuts. But yeah, you know, look at that. You know, we had the election last year. 
overall down ballot was way better than what we should have expected. Honestly, you know, if Trump hadn't made some unforced errors, he would still be president. Honestly, that's I hate to say it, but they should have really gotten on the electoral stuff way earlier. Um, you know, one of the things that happened in like in 2000 with Bush and Gore was the um, this, what they called the Brooks Brothers riot. You know, there was like Florida was within like 500 votes or something. Well, you know, I mean, Bush had an army of lawyers that like election night just descended on Florida and they just just hammered that place so hard. They were everywhere. And like Trump did not have that. And if he had, if he had much better people than Sidney Powell or, you know, folks like that, they probably, they may have, if they'd started way earlier, things may have been different. Anyway, so that's, that's, and I think what we're seeing here, my thesis that these people are not winning. They're not as strong as they think. They're not as strong as they, we think they are. And you see that in this case. Look at what they tried to do to Kyle. Like he got slandered by all the media, by the, you know, one of the presidential candidates. Basically, most of social media, they were banned from even like trying to say he was anything other than like a white supremacist mass murdering terrorist. But the jury still stood up. The jury, you know, people, his peers um, in Kenosha local people who knew the truth you know even with the jury intimidation that was one thing i was talking about last week was a lot of the operant conditioning that happens and we see this in kenosha where a couple days later the day before the verdict came back you know they're they're catching reporters trying to dox the jury they were following the jury bus to dox them and that is you know one of those things of intimidation like i've talked about this before i wrote a piece a couple years ago on luke o'brien who is a reporter who's done a lot of doxing and attacking people he got a woman's husband fired because he did not like what she was saying on twitter and she's not a politician um amy mech is like just a private citizen who's just got a decent twitter following and she's just honest about what she believes he got her husband fired and almost destroyed her brother-in-law's business who maybe had met her a half a dozen times, that's the sort of stuff they do. You know, these, these journalists are pretty much, um, you know, they are janissaries of the regime. They're like the forward air controllers. They pick out the targets, bring down economic and, and uh, information warfare, you know, on, the, on their targets. But yeah, that's, they tried all that. They tried all that. We had like 14 months of like slandering Kyle trying to suppress information-wise people that were trying to tell the truth, financially people that were trying to support him and give him a, um, you know, financial backing for a, for a trial, for getting the lawyers. They were getting people fired for that. They were shutting down payment processors and other ways to raise fundraisers. And they still lost. Kyle still got cleared. And that's what... You have to take the white pill there. You know, you have you know, the Virginia win for us, even if Youngkin's still kind of, you know, very moderate, which, I mean, let's just be, the reality is you're not going to get turbo MAGA people around the country. Like, he's probably about the best Virginia can do at this point. It's just the reality. We have to accept political reality. You just can't 
run a MAGA campaign in a blue place. I mean, it's just not going to work. But yeah, you know, he, we saw that, like they got blown out in Virginia. Then Kyle gets acquitted. And that's with, despite everything these people are doing, okay? That's my thesis that I've been talking about for over a year now, and I've seen nothing to disabuse it. Another good example of this is Afghanistan. I mean, you know, that's not, nothing that happened in the last two weeks in the collapse of Kabul and people fleeing. I mean, this is none, none of this is happening because of competent people are in charge. And these are people who think they're competent, who think they are entitled to rule and are willing to, you know, use the machinery of the state as well as the economic and information power out there that they've managed to seize control of to try to maintain their control. But you, know, you see, um, like, yeah, it's like the weekend Kabul collapsed, like Biden was hiding. Jen Psaki, the you know, press secretary, didn't even want to speak. She was in hiding. Everyone was in hiding. And everyone's like, who the fuck's in charge? None of this... None of this is the action of, of confident, secure people who know what they're doing. And everyone knows this. Middle America knows this. I mean, it looks like Russia and China know this now. Um, Russia may be invading Ukraine soon. Um, you know, and China is making more uh, <clears throat> noise towards, um, you know, taking Taiwan. I mean, I don't think, you know, that will have to be a different discussion. Um, I don't think they're probably going to invade overnight. I think there's a lot more gray zone tactics they're probably going to use. But yeah, anyway, this is stuff that we're seeing. And this is something very common on the right where we like to build up our opponents. And like blackpilling is so addictive on the right because we've had these people who would not fight for so long trying to lead Jonah Goldberg and, you know, Stephen Hayes, people who just left Fox News yesterday. People like that, David French, people who... You know, their whole, you know, philosophy is like de depend, defend whatever the left said five years ago. And that's our new thing we're going to defend. You know, basically the folks that have accepted the left's premise. And this is what we've seen. You know, if you can fight back at all with any type of skill, um, you they, they just collapse and you win. And that's really, you know, this was middle America. They threw everything they had to railroad Kyle. And Mill America said, fuck you, and they freed the boy. So that's, you know, <laughs> that's, you know, and then you look to, like, let's look at what happened this weekend in Kenosha. Were there riots? No, there weren't. I mean, you know, <laughs> granted, so much of this stuff, it's all, and we saw last year, they bragged about it in Time Magazine, that they could turn the riots off and on like a switch. You know, they had people that were, um, you know, on 900-person conference calls, coordinating all the riots. Um, you know, when, when Kenosha happened on, the like, the 25th, you know, with Kyle, like, they didn't, that ended the violence. They had, they actually had literally peaceful protests after that. Um, you know, and they didn't riot this past weekend. It's like, you know, shitbags, if you include Jacob Blake, the person who was shot, and then the three people... Kyle shot. I mean, it's shitbags are zero and four in Kenosha. So that's definitely not the place to go try any bullshit. The writing that we did see this past weekend, you know, there were some in, a little bit in Chicago, it seems like. Um, you know, not a whole lot. There was actually a bunch more in the Bay. 
it's I don't think most of that was actually or, or looting more technically. Um, there were some protests in New York City. Um, the rioting, I'm sorry, the looting that we saw like in the Bay Area, I don't really think that was ideologically targeted. Um, that was much, well, looting generally is, you know, there there are leftists who make a, a big hoopla about ideological motivations for for looting, but in reality, it's looting is pretty much a materialistic thing. It's not people that are looting or, you know, they, they may dress it up in ideological convictions and arguments, but it's not really about that. I think we all know that it's about getting shit, smashing windows, and grabbing shit to take home. Um, <laughs> It's, you know, it's about consumer goods, really. Um, and, yeah, the stuff that we saw, like, most of that this weekend, especially in the Bay Area, that's sort of been going on for a while. What happens is, like, in, in the Bay, around 80%, you know, it was interesting. We had one of the DA candidates, not Chesa Bowden, but one of the other ones that didn't win, come to the SFGOP and was asking for, like, our endorsement. And they were talking to us, and they were explaining a lot of the stuff. Um, and we also have, like, the, the SFPOA, um, the Police Officer Association. They used to come speak with us a lot. But, yeah, they, they would come, and they would talk about the crime. And it was interesting because about 80% of the, um, like, like robberies and shoplifting and stuff like that that happens in San Francisco comes from organized crime, like East Bay gangs, like the car burglaries and stuff like that. There's people, there's people who come from Oakland predominantly, like West Oakland. The gangs there, they cross over, and they'll smash cars, windows, and rifle through cars. They'll do the big flash mob looting things you see, and they like to target the Asians, especially. They'll come target the Asians in Chinatown, or they'll go to, like, the marina, which is another, like, tourist uh, upscale-type area. And they'll, you know, and they like to hit the tourist areas because locals, you know, um are usually a little bit smarter about not leaving shit in their cars, but the tourists do, and they'll hit those places and just clean them out. Um, and yeah, you know, that's mostly what happened this weekend with that. Um, and it's, again, it's like, it's interesting now about how they're talking about making a big push against stopping that, because of, of course, you know, the, the political ideological motivation for this stuff at this point is not really so much with the people doing it, but it's with, like, the government officials who now are trying to stop it. Because last year, you know, Blumpf was in office and, you know, they wouldn't let people run wild, um, smash up the small businesses. Again, so much of this stuff, it's really interesting. You start to see people um, simping for Globo Corps because that's so much of what this is. They, they donate all this money to these leftist, these crazy-ass um, NGOs, these government, these <clears throat> nonprofits and everything. These leftist groups, uh, Ford Foundation, Tides, Thousand Currents, all these people um, that fundraise <clears throat> and have all the like bail funds and everything like that, and all the logistical support for like these big protests and riots that we saw last year. What happens really is, um, you know, again, now all of a sudden there's a dim administration. They're like, holy shit, we can't ha let the you know the lid keep coming off. So now all of a sudden they're talking about trying to prosecute and suppress this stuff. And of course, you know, once you like rip the lid off like that, it's kind of hard to get it back on. Because if the cops are like, fuck this stuff, I'm not going hands-on with these people. Um, I'm not going to risk getting showband or something or or whatever, you know. Because there, there were so many cops look at people wrong. San Francisco has been that way for a while because it's so politically hostile towards policing. Um, and you've got stuff like Prop 47 
you know, a little background on the shoplifting stuff that happens there. <clears throat> basically, anything under like $950 is like not a felony. It's like basically, it, it's not even a misdemeanor arrest. It's like a ticket offense. It's like a like an infraction, basically. And yeah, if you get caught like stealing $900 worth of stuff in a store in San Francisco, if the cops do catch you, they're just going to like take your ID and like write you a citation pretty much. Um, so yeah, as you can imagine, um, it's just completely off the chain. And, and the whole Prop 47 thing, that wasn't a state law. This was not a law that was passed in the legislature. This was a law that was passed. And this is what makes it so frustrating and difficult to work with. It was, a, it was passed by ballot measure. Literally, the voters of California voted for this, and they passed it. And because it's like a ballot measure, the legislature can't get rid of it. Like, it has to go back through a ballot measure to get removed. And, and yeah, this is something the voters of California have done to themselves, pretty much. Um, yeah, and it's one of the things, it's like, 80, anyway, 80% of that, like, smashed and grabs, like, car burglaries... Um, robberies of tourists and stuff like that, um, all those, like, especially the drug dealing, too, all that stuff, it's all, like, coming out of the East Bay. East Bay gangs, organized crime rings are behind around 80 to 85 percent of it. Um, you also see, it's really interesting, because if you go, to, like, to Market Street and 6th Street, which is, Market Street's the main street in San Francisco, it's the one where, um, all the other, it runs right through downtown to the ferry building, and it's the one all the other streets kind of hit it, intersected at an angle. It's very distinctive street. Um, and, you know, Market and Six is just, it's downtown, but it's just a little bit out of, like, the business district. And you'll see, um, or, like, the heart of the business district. It's just south of, like, the Tenderloin, which is the really shitty part of San Francisco. There's lots of shitty parts, but that's, like, the really bad shitty part. So yeah, Market and Sixth is like the homeless bazaar. That's like where all the homeless shoplifters, they'll go in the stores, grab shit, and run out. And you'll see them like go down to Market and Sixth Street, and they'll lay all the stuff they've stolen out on the street. And you can go buy stuff for like a fraction of what it costs at Walgreens, like a block away. And that stuff just happens, you know, and no one does anything about it. Because um, there's not the political will to do it, and the cops, if they do do it, you know, they're just asking trouble for themselves. And, you know, you want to go hands-on with some disgusting homeless person that hasn't bathed in, like, six months. Um, a lot of these people, they just, they're reek. And, yeah, so there's there's a lot of stuff um, why the police don't do anything about it. Um, and, yeah, that's what happened this weekend in San Francisco. They had the big um, smash and grab in Union Square area. Uh, from like Louis Vuitton, and then they went to the Walnut Creek and robbed the Nordstroms there, which is like Walnut Creek's about like 30 minutes away, 30 to 40 minutes away by car. Um, Bart actually goes there too, but they had the cars. <clears throat> it's basically right in between. Oakland's like equidistant between like San Francisco and Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek's one of the really nice areas in the Bay Area as well. Really nice, kind of high end community. But yeah, there was that, and there's this Waukesha thing, which is is a very very good. Again, this happened yesterday evening. Um, lots of um, again, it's still within that 72 hour, and we're still learning a lot of stuff. But we already kind of know a decent bit. I think it's really important um, to not try to uh, 
<clears throat> just spread like information that's not reliable or, or run with suppositions and stuff. And if you do, you need to be very careful with it. Um, I know the left does this a lot and they're very particular in, about pushing that agenda. But I think really part of something at the left and not just the left, but also like the, the establishment types, they do this where they push that stuff so hard that undermines your trustworthiness and it undermines the, um, you know, basically, yeah, if you, if you get caught in a lie, if you get caught saying something that's not true, like, you know, granted, sometimes we all believe wrong things or we just learn the wrong thing. But if, in, if you say something in bad faith or without some type of checking of what you're doing, that stuff comes back to bite you in the ass. I think it's really important not to try to avoid to do that as avoid doing that as much as possible. But we're, but I do want to talk about some of the interesting parallels of what happened. Um, so what we do know so far is this guy, black guy Daryl Brooks, thirty nine years old, uh, rapper. You know, had multiple arrests, apparently like sex trafficking and assault, and he ran over his fiance or something like two days before. And then he drove the car into um, the Christmas parade, and five people are dead so far. There's like 48 injuries. Um, you know, there's of course, it's very interesting because immediately it was dismissed as a terrorist attack, and they were, the media was immediately pushing it as um, an accident. Or then it was like, oh, well, okay, maybe it's not an accident, but he was just trying to get away from like a stabbing or something. Um, it's, it's not terrorism. It's not terrorism. But it's sort of interesting because, you know, and it's it's really intriguing. Take these incidents and then just switch around political alignment and race and then try to picture the reactions. Um, and in this case, you know, of course, we can do this with Kyle and with this case. Like in Kyle's case, imagine, you know, if it was a, a black kid downtown and he shot some white people and it was a, a, a black Trump supporter or even if it was a black Trump supporter shooting like, you know, blacks or some black leftists, you know, if you switch the race like that, I mean, it would have been buried, you know, especially if it was a black Trump supporter shooting like some white criminals, um, violent leftists with everything that was going on. Um, they would have buried that shit. It would just, would have just, just disappeared. Um, we would have forgotten about it like within a week. It would have been gone. Um, and in this situation, like this guy's Facebook, like I've, I've saved a bunch of the images. You know, he was talking about like assaulting white people. Like he had a lot of hatred towards white people. Um, you know, and just he was posting lots of really crazy shit on there. Very much anti-Trump. Um, very much like super like BLM stuff on there. Um, lots of black power stuff. And yeah, he drove a vehicle and ran down a, like 50 something white people so imagine if it was like a white guy who had a bunch of like pepe means and trump um paraphernalia on his social media and he ran into like a juneteenth parade i mean we'd never hear the end of it it would like immediately be assumed to be some type of white supremacist attack and you know they would be like if trump was still president they would be immediately trying to attack him for this and talk about his rhetoric and was behind this and you know getting trying to get you know ask him a dozen times does it does he disavow what happened it would immediately be blamed on him and on, on the the right in general of course with this guy you know it's nothing it's no crickets 
no one in, no one is trying to get commentary from Biden on it. Um, Biden hasn't hasn't even said anything. Um, no one's trying to do that with them. And then you have, you know, it's like it's 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 so obvious the the two the double standards there. And again, this is you know we hear this a lot. It's not hypocrisy. It's hierarchy. It's about making, you know, the double standards clear. Like there's examples where it's like expressing that double standard as an expression of power. You know, one of the things like Carl Schmitt said, a, a German jurist, was, you know, sovereignty is, you know, the art of the exception. It's about, you know, being able to make an exception to the rules. And that's what, sovereignty is not imposing rules on people. It's imposing a rule and then giving an exception to the rule. Um, any apparatchik can say no and just follow rules or create a rule that says no. The real power is someone who can say yes. Um, and you see a lot of this real exception making here with this. It's just this stuff, it's like they're trying to bury it. And this is the stuff that, you know, it's an inverse of what we saw with, with Kyle. It's not the first time we've seen this this year either. Um, think of, not even talking about the Kyle thing, but like there's one Capitol Police officer has died in the line of service, and it was not this year, and it was not Brian Sicknick. I mean, it was later determined it was, you know, they haven't really been quite clear on it, but they're like, no, he wasn't beaten to death. It was like a stroke that was unrelated to the actions of January 6th, but there was an officer who died in April, and, you know, everyone's forgotten about this, and he was killed by a man named Noah Green, who was, you know, part, he was a follower of the Nation of Islam. He was the guy who tried to ram um, the barricade at the Capitol. And, of course, you know, it's like it was all this wacky Nation of Islam stuff. The guy was very unhinged. And, yeah, you know, that got buried. You know, the, no, no one's talking about Noah Green. It's one of those things where it just, again, it was like a, a left, a, a wacky leftist black person killing a police officer at the Capitol, and it just it just gets vanished. This really, you know, it undermines a lot, underlines so much the importance of alternative media, being able to talk about this stuff, having these platforms to make these discussions and bring these sorts of things up. We see this too a lot. I mean, the, the big reason for Kyle being free was that there was about a dozen different angles filming the stuff that happened that night. There was a lot of people who, you know, there's a couple different drone videos. There was the FBI drone video, and they tried to bury that. But there's a bunch of other independent journalists, like Richie McGinnis was right there filming and, and watching and witnessed the whole thing. Like, he was feet away. There's like about a dozen different angles of everything that happened that night. And, you know, um, photographers out there doing it, taking, you know, images and recording everything that happened. And th those people were not legacy media. The, the New York Times was not down there embedded in the worst of the riots it's it was independent media people out there doing it and that's a huge part of it it's like there are people that can do the research that are not plugged into the corporate media and subject to the same forces and rules um, that are engulfing the, the current establishment media people that can get go out there and research and witness what's actually happening research what actually happened and then spread that message and that's a huge part 
of what's happening here. It's like, you know, what's so important is having these alternative methods. These, the media that's, that's recording this stuff, researching it, spreading information on it, as well as the people that, you know, are out there just trying to, you know, learn about this stuff and talk about it on different platforms. Like people like, you know, we've seen more platforms finally growing. It's going to take a little while um, to get momentum going. I mean, like there's Rumble, which is a different video platform, and to YouTube, which isn't so restrictive. Um, all these other little platforms coming up. Um, I'm cautiously, cautiously optimistic about a few. We'll see what happens. But yeah, it's like it's... it's um, you can only do so much about quieting down and like clamping down on the message. Like enough of it is going to leak out and still get spread around. So I'm going to start wrapping this up here. I'll make these points here in closing. You know, look, no blackpilling, folks. No blackpilling. We are winning. The momentum's on our side. Reality's on our side. You know, Kyle, like the people of Kenosha, the good-hearted, noble, flyover Americans of, of the Rust Belt, stood up to media and political intimidation. And, you know, they freed Kyle. Even with everything that's going on, the attempted doxing, the jury, and all the other threats, and, and you know, all the, all the celebrities trying to smear him for 14 months, the tech working against him, despite the entire world going after this young man, the local people of this small town stood up and said, fuck you, and they acquitted him, despite all that. No blackpilling, okay? No blackpilling that. Like, you know, I said another thing. Like, the election-wise, I said after the 2020 election, I, I looked at the results and tried to drill into the data, and I said, look, there's a massive change that's happening. We're going, you know, you've heard me probably talk about the seventh-party system before. Every 40 years, on average, it's not perfect, but every 40-ish years on average, the American electorate realigns itself. And I said, we're in the process. We've been overdue for that. And it's happening now. And it's shifting in our favor. It's like people, it is shifting out from under the feet of the Democrats. Um, Democratic strategist David Shore has talked about that a bunch. He's like, look, we're going to get fucked for at least a decade, probably more like 15 years. Um, I said, there, I explained everything that happened. I said, look, the literal, like, Globo Homo, you know, the Globalist American Empire, whatever you want to call it, the cathedral, the blob, the hegemon, whatever you want to call it, through everything they had at the election. And, like, I'm like, that's the best they can do? That's all? These people are fucked. They're fucked. We're, we, we, you know, the momentum and the wind is at our back. This was not something that was going to happen overnight. This is not something like in the movies where you just win one battle and then it's like... You defeat Thanos and you go back to your life and it's over with. It doesn't work that way. You know, this is a... I remember, you know, standing... I, I keep talking about this thing, this this incident, because um, it's so critical. It's like the election night 2016, you know, Trump was so far behind and he came out, pulled it off and won. And I was in downtown San Francisco at the Twitter headquarters and I walk outside and they're like making us leave, you know. And um, they got pissed off and tried to, and started kicking us out of there. Um, this was the SFGOP election watch party. We go outside and there's people in, there's black block Antifa people out there with bats and turns and masks on and they're threatening us. And I remember thinking like I was pissed and like frustrated, but I was also like, you know, it was great walking back later that night to my apartment. I was like, we fucking won, you know, it's like we, we won that we pulled this off 
And, you know, we can win. We're going to win, folks. I sort of keep telling people we're going to win. You know, I keep seeing the signs. It's going to be a slog. Like, I've seen the signs when I was in downtown Berkeley and downtown Portland. We were outnumbered by Antifa, and we beat their asses and chased them through the streets. You know, I've I've seen, I was like, we have won, and we're going to keep winning. And the advantage is on our side. Another thing, too, is, like, keep in mind, you know, we've got to keep working on the networking. And we've got to keep working on, you know, building these alternative networks of, like, not just like social and community networks, but these alternative social media sites and, you know, this alternative media people who independent journalists are out there doing that stuff. People are doing really good work. All right, well, that's it. And I hope you've enjoyed um, this podcast. I hope you enjoy the sound quality better. Um, I hope, you know, I'm going to listen to it a little bit more. I think this new workflow is working out pretty great here. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Contextual Insurgent Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith.